Hello, welcome to the Stockout. This is your show in Freight Waves for all things related to the CPG and retail industries. I am one of your hosts, Mike Bowden-Distel. Uh, what we're going to be doing today is I'll give a rundown of the news in the CPG uh, space and, and the, the freight space. Um, and then we're going to also talk with Steve Lewis, who is the division. Uh, there's Grace Sharkey, um, there we go. <laughs> uh, who is my, my, my co-host. So um, good, good to see you. And so, you know, we're going to run down to the news and then we're going to um, be interviewing Steve Lewis, who's the division president of the Americas at GXO Direct, um, really innovative um, arm of uh, GXO. So we'll really, uh, you know, get, dive into, um, you know, what's happening there in the automated warehousing uh, space. Grace, I think I'll let you take the, the lead on that. Um, and uh, before we do that, I just want to make sure everyone has an opportunity to uh, sign up for the Stockout newsletter. I invite you to go to www.freightwaves.com forward slash the Stockout and sign up for that Stockout newsletter, right? The first one there under supply chain, send that out uh, once a week in the middle part of the week and go through what we think is interesting um, in, in the world of, of CPG and then sort of uh, what we have in the FreightWaves data and sort of how those things uh, interrelate. So with that, I'll do a quick uh, news rundown. Um, I have four items on the list today. Item number one, analyst reactions to Smucker's acquisition of Hostess were mixed. We talked about this last week. Last week, this came out right as we were um, you know, shooting the show uh, that morning. And um, it's interesting to see you know, some of the reactions of, of, of the analyst community. We did see um, you know, Smucker's shares pull back some. A lot of that is just Typical when you know a, a company acquires another company, the acquirer their stock does tend to go down. I think it maybe it went down a little bit more than you would have expected. Uh, there was a downgrade from Bank of America took took the shares from buy to hold. The pushback, you know, valuation um, was one of those things. Seventeen point two times EBITDA um, higher than some of the peer group. They do say you know if you back out the the expected synergies, the cost synergies takes it to thirteen point two times. And uh, some of the analysts were saying, well, you know, if it wasn't for the high competition for this deal, General Mills wanted to acquire it also, uh, that that's part of what uh, contributed to the, the high you know, valuation. So speculation that Smucker you know, may have overpaid. There was also doubt along similar lines that we discussed last week that uh, the indulgent snacking trend will uh, continue. Smucker says that the indulgent snacking has grown about 20% faster than other types of snacking the past few years. Maybe that was temporary with um, sort of uh, stress eating with the pandemic. We'll see. And then a lot of the analysts bring up Smucker's past uh, deals that were um, in, had already been enhanced by private equity. We heard a lot about the Big Heart Prep, Prep Big Heart Pet Brands acquisition in 2015 on the on Smucker's analyst call. Companies suggesting, well, maybe private equity has already optimized Hostess uh, because it's really um, added a tremendous amount of value the past three years. Uh, acquiring out of out of bankruptcy and, and maybe the easy money has been made there. Um, but on the positive side, there were some analysts that were more positive. Uh, Cowan uh, thought that the market was underestimating Smucker's ability to integrate Hostess, brings uh, Smucker into a new market. Um, these C stores, which uh, Hostess, about 40% of their sales is the C store. So potentially they could sell more Smucker's, um, you know, Uncrustables and those type of things in uh, the C stores. And then you know, potential manufacturing synergy, I think maybe the most interesting uh, take I heard was someone who suggested, well, this multi-billion dollar investment that Smuckers just made in manufacturing capacity to produce uh, Uncrustables. It's really un sort of unclear how 
much Uncrustables is going to continue to grow. I mean, maybe it'll continue to grow very quickly like it has and, and, and be a great product for for, for for Smucker that's even a bigger revenue. Or maybe it's kind of a fad when you have adults um, you know, eating things that were designed for, for, for children, but you know, having a hostess under the same umbrella, maybe that's a hedge in the manufacturing space that potentially you could manufacture hostess products in that manufacturing space that they acquired. Um, so those are kind of the, the bear and bull points. Grace, did I miss anything? Well, no, I think you, you hit the biggest points right there. And it's interesting because I was, uh, I found a, uh, a survey or chart that broke down their revenue. And I guess I was surprised to see how heavy they were in the pet food section. I mean, I think if you combine coffee and then pet related foods uh, and snacks, et cetera, it was like over 70% of what they're doing. So to say mm -hmm. that this could help grow revenue, I definitely think so. It's might be a, a negative in terms of, well, going in, going into the deal in terms of uh, how they maybe have a relationship with stores, but you would think that adding hostess will allow them to grow that uh, even more. I will say too, on the Crustle side, it sounds like they are very close to releasing a special new formula that allows, because we all know Uncrustables are under the uh, frozen section, right? Well, there is a new formula that could possibly sit next to uh, its hostess uh, counterparts as well. So uh, I think when we talk about that convenience store uh, capability or relationships, uh, if they can do that and already see such a huge market from Uncrustables, this should allow that to take off once it is capable of sitting on a shelf, it sounded like for at least five or six days at this point. So uh, yeah, I, I say positives for now. Uh, clearly, we'll continue to watch and see how it grows. And the manufacturing piece, I think, is huge too. Uh, but uh, yeah, well, it's, uh, they definitely picked up, I think, on the snack portion, which I was so surprised to see was so low when I dove into those numbers. Yeah, good points there. So the negative um, perception initially might have been a little bit of a knee-jerk uh, reaction. Um, the second item I have here is two plant-based meat startups cease operation. Um, this was reported <laughs> by Food Business News. Thought this was significant. So Hooray Foods and Nowadays both announced different posts that they would cease operations. Hooray Foods launched four years ago to make plant-based bacon alternative. That doesn't sound that doesn't sound great to me. Um, at one point, they were in over a thousand grocery stores, and then nowadays um, was making plant-based uh, nuggets. So that one didn't work out either. And this has been a category that there was a lot of interest in in 2020. And, and when we started the Stockout um, newsletter, it was a it was a segment that I paid attention to because there's so much focus on sustainability that, um, you know, potentially this could have been a, a, a tremendous thing. I mean, you never really know how these trends are going to play out, but, you know, Beyond Meats share price has been a complete disaster. I mean, the share uh, chart, yeah, that's, that's, that's a bad one from a 13 billion market cap to less than a billion market cap. Um, but have you tried any of these plant-based um, meat alternatives out of curiosity? Uh, I have tried the Morningstar Farms alternatives, uh, like the burgers I've had in um, some of like the, the snacks that they do have. I haven't had the chicken nuggets or anything. That kind of creeps me out. Uh, who knows what's in a chicken nugget to begin with. So uh, I, I will say it's funny to, to look back when the hype of uh, alternative meats was. It caught me as well. You know, we were going through the whole toilet paper shortage and uh, what's even available at grocery stores is just what's available. And so I think the rhetoric behind a lot of these companies of, you know, there's uh, the sustainability of meat and if we'll even, you know, have uh, the capabilities to, to, I guess, have meat in the stores like we potentially saw in other 
uh, I guess, paper products, right? Uh, that caught my eye and that got my interest at the very beginning. But as time has gone by, to be honest with you, I'd rather eat vegetables if that's a situation I'm in. Uh, Health-wise, for me, it's like, it's kind of like my feeling, honestly, I'm like diet soda. It's like best off just not drinking soda. But uh, I think this has played out a little bit where people are, in one, I've, I've noticed a lot of people are buying meat directly from local farmers and, and kind of a... Mm-hmm. Uh, helping with that sustainability issue. Uh, and I just don't think it's as that marketing or that hype of, oh no, will we have beef all the time? Is I think people have settled down on that. Plus inflation, I think as a consumer, at the end of the day, uh, I'm going to find the, the cheapest way to, to feed myself. And I have to, a lot of these are priced pretty high. So as much as I want to be a more sustainable uh, consumer, uh, once inflation uh, goes down, that that might be something I go back to purchase. Yeah, it is hard to sell a product uh, for more money that tastes worse. That's that's a tough. Um, that's a tough yes. one. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's not good. If that's it's it's definitely like I said, I would rather just have like a really good salad than try to like make my mm-hmm. way through a, a plant based mm-hmm. burger at the end of the day. Yeah. Speaking of things that don't taste good, Clorox um, products generally don't <laughs> taste good. They put out an AK this morning, um, basically re- withdrawing their, their quarterly guidance. They said that their uh, the cyber attack that hit them is going to have a significant impact on their fiscal first quarter results. That it's not clear if, if it's also going to be meaningful for the full uh, fiscal year. Um, but this had been originally disclosed about a little over a month ago. So we see Clorox down a little bit on the news. This has been, you know, that's what this what I would call a, a COVID round trip. Uh, went from 140 to 240 <laughs> back to back to 140. Uh, so th- this one um, th- does expect to be transitioning back to a normal. I guess this is impacting their ability to um, process orders. So they're having to do things manually that they tend to do automated uh, with the system. Expect to start coming back online nine uh, sort of next week, but um, taking a little bit of time. Have you seen a lot of this? And you, you've seen a lot of this in your editorial coverage, right? I mean, you've, you've, with, with various cyber attacks at various companies, is, is this a growing concern huge uh you know we've seen it especially if we want to get down to the truck side we've seen it all the time in in elds and i think that goes back to really how we're integrating those but i mean as we become more connected and our supply chains become more connected and we have all these i mean some of these systems have so many integrations between different partners uh this is something we're going to see more of actually there's a recent uh gardner study that because of the lack of talent uh, and also human failure when it comes to uh, a lot of these systems out there, by 2025, I think uh, over half of our, our cyber incidents will be related to the people that you have within your four walls. Are you making the right investment, right? If you're investing in new systems, if you're investing in new integrations and partnerships, do you have the people in-house to, to watch for these? And I think, again, as we see more AI too, that's going to fundamentally change uh, enterprise attacks as well. So I think this is just going to become an even bigger concern. And for everyone watching who's looking to integrate uh, more tech into their stack today, do you have the human capital on board to be able to watch for these incidents? And do you have really good backup systems in order to avoid problems when it comes to your consumers too? Yeah, huge uh, concern for sure. Um, just hit this last one pretty quickly. This was an article that uh, Todd Maiden um, wrote up uh, for the site. G- 
J.B. Hunt turning a little bit more positive on fall demand. I thought this was um, important last week. And I thought this was a, just a little bit of a reversal from what they had said earlier, but it was a different person. This was Shelly Simpson talking about how, you know, maybe see a little bit of a peak uh, season this fall. Whereas, you know, a week or two ago, um, J.B. Hunt's president of Intermodal, Darren Field, said, well, things are kind of mixed from customers. Some are have high inventory still. Some are seeing sort of um, growth in demand. Some are seeing more weakness. But it does seem like um, at least they're seeing a little bit more uh, demand uh, improving seasonally, have an outbound tenor volume index that, that supports that. Um, so maybe there's going to be, I don't know, maybe a, a, a mini, you know, peak season. I don't think it's going to be robust by any by any measure. but um, you know, uh, J.B. Hunt it does tend to be a bellwether for the freight uh, sector. Their shares were up about 4% after this. It also brought up the rest of the group, Knight Swift, Werner, Schneider National, um, all appreciated after uh, Shelly Simpson's uh, comments. Yeah, it's. Uh, I, I think we've said it here too on Freightways and a lot of the analysts that we have as well that we're going to see some type of peak season, but I don't think it's going to be anywhere close to what uh, probably our carriers would like to see right at the end of the day, uh, including this one in particular. So we'll see that bump, mm -hmm. but uh, it's nothing going to be overly uh, drastic to what the market's shown so far this year. That's right. So you want to intro our, our guests? I mean, you know the... Yes. There's, there's, there's yes, the yes. Oh, yeah, speaking of, you know, it's uh, I'm excited because this is uh, another episode of us diving into the warehousing side and we talk about inventory and we talk about, of course, a lot of the CPG and retail companies out there becoming more uh, uh, invested in how they can maneuver their supply chains. I think this is going to be an interesting interview with us uh, today is the division president of the Americas and Asia Pacific, also head of GXO Direct, Steve Lewis. Steve, Thank you so much for joining us today. We're happy to have you on the show. It's absolutely my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Yeah, and uh, let's dive right into GXO Direct because I think this is a little bit a new offering that our audience uh, hasn't heard too much about. Can you tell us a little bit about your background and your time at GXO and, and what the direct offering is looking like today? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, first about me and my background, I've been in supply chain for about uh, 30 years. The first 20 of that being in the United States Navy, basically um, leading supply chain logistics on submarines, aircraft carriers, and then the Naval Aviation, Naval Aviation Enterprise. So um, really focused on my customers back then, which were warfighters, and obviously sense of urgency, uh, type of mentality of find a way to get things done. And that really transcended as I came over to GXO, where I've been here for about the past five years, uh, focused first initially on solutions, then more of a commercial role, and then now with uh, GXO Direct as, as the president of this organization. You know, GXO Direct, basically, it's a uh, innovative, cost-effective, uh, flexible fulfillment solution. We're in 14 different nodes in North America. So uh, we have these separate nodes. We have as many of, say, uh, in the greater Los Angeles area, six uh, different sites there where we support all different types uh, of clients from digital natives, uh, SMBs, all the way to uh, large enterprise players. And so for some uh, providers, we are their only supply chain uh, outlet. And for others, we are uh, handling a specific node or a specific channel, whether it's forward or reverse. Yeah, some really great um, B-roll there. Um, really impressive, uh, you know, technology. You see all those robotics. Um, 
and maybe that's a good good place to start. I mean, if you sort of think about a, a technology adoption curve, I sort of think about well, maybe you know certain technologies are pretty um, are, are pretty much uh, already um, you know, developed. Like you know, smartphone it gets barely better every year, whereas like electric cars they're coming quantum leap every couple of years. Where where are we with robotics in a warehouse like that? So I think if you look at like Gartner, they'll say they have their own hype cycle, right? So for where we are playing in the hype cycle, we have in, within direct specifically collaborative robots. We have uh, autonomous vehicles as far as uh, forklifts and things like that inside the warehouse. Um, within the contract logistics across uh, uh, GXO globally, everything from goods to person to, uh, you know, things from an auto store to gray orange to uh, locust robotics. Uh, 6RS collaborative robotics and everything in between. So it really uh, kind of goes across the, the spectrum there. For direct as a product, it's really about uh, speed of go lives. And we're focusing on clients, their, their first year requirements, not their fifth year requirements. It's a little bit different of a product here. And that really helps those uh, digital natives and, and smaller growing brands. And so we rely heavily on uh, items like collaborative robots because they're uh, quick to deploy. Uh, they're agile, so if uh, your one-year requirement uh, is on track and your fifth-year sales actually becomes in comes in line with more of a three-year timeline, we can deploy uh, more collaborative robots right into that same field and be able to get uh, greater utilization out of that, that warehouse asset. Yeah, it's uh, incredible. I think just in that uh, B-roll alone, everything from uh, the employees and, and it looks like almost like the watches they're using as scanners to the autonomous uh, technology is impressive to see. You know, when it comes to warehousing, I'm, I'm interested. I've been watching a lot of your announcements recently. You guys have brought on a lot of incredible logos over the last uh, couple of years. And uh, a number of those players are getting deeper into how quickly they're meeting the needs to their customers, whether it's last mile delivery um, and, and the capabilities to meet, you know, that that two hour delivery effect that many people are starting to see. Can you tell us a little bit of how Direct, GXO Direct is working to fulfill those options and make those options possible and, and how you're working with the customers to choose exactly you know, what capabilities they can showcase to their end consumers? Certainly, and, and you hit on it, Grace. What we're seeing as far as our clients and uh, potential clients are looking to get closer to population. And so our network I talked about, we're closer to where not only is population, but the ports and, and airports. So on the West Coast, is just a quick example, we're in Seattle, San Francisco, and LA, those greater markets, and we have multiple sites within those markets. And so this proximity allows us to uh, allow our clients to be able to bring in, say, on the West Coast, uh, their, their port or drayage items into one of our facilities, and then we can bounce their uh, inventories across our network. This allows us to have uh, same-day fulfillment for some, for some of our uh, clients in uh, major metropolitan areas, and we can achieve uh, two-day ground to close to 99% of the population just by the proximity of where we're at. Uh, the other thing that's very beneficial for our clients is unlike some of our some of the other solutions that are out in the market, uh, we don't have any requirements on on the size of items. So this network, uh, we have cross stocks in all these different locations, and we support everything from, you know, a cosmetic item all the way up into uh, heavy bulky items like refrigerators. And so forward and reverse for for anything under the sun, if you will. Yeah, that's really impressive. Um, one of the things that intrigued me from your your website is you say that you can uh, 
scale up and scale down for an individual company's warehousing needs. And you know, how are you able to do that without sort of building the church for Easter Sunday, given that there's strong seasonal uh, patterns, there's, you know, eco- economy has a big impact on all those things. So it seems like everyone would need warehousing at the same time. Yeah. So uh, I think we benefit from scale here. So we, um, as far as GXO as a whole, we're uh, almost a thousand fulfillment and distribution centers across uh, 26 countries. In the U.S., we're approaching 300 of those sites. And so I, within direct, the direct network, I have over 100. So as we continue to grow and bring on new facilities, this allows us to be flexible with clients. And then the other piece is just having that density within market. So let's say that you are uh, a, a new startup and you start with us in, uh, in say the Southern California marketplace. We have you in Ontario. And as you want to expand, if we couldn't expand you in that exact footprint, some of our facilities are literally across the street. So um, we can be across the street within that market, or we might look at your demand and say, hey, you know, we can improve your service levels and uh, decrease uh, miles, uh, you know, as far as transferring items back and forth, if we just take a sub-segment of your high movers and place them into one of our other nodes, Dallas, or uh, just outside of New York City, depending upon the product and where the demand signal is. No, it's interesting, uh, especially uh, showcasing right the the world presence that GXO does have. I'm wondering, are you finding that there's any certain markets, especially in your time at GXO, that are growing more than others, or uh, certain areas or regions, especially here in the United States, that you're finding those needs? There's warehouse needs that are needed more than you've seen in the past. Yeah, as far as for segments, um, we, we do everything from uh, aerospace to food and beverage. I have food and beverage for North America. So we're definitely seeing an increase in uh, food and beverage requirements, that's for sure. Um, I know you had some of the other segments. Some of the um, ready-to-drink type of items, that's something we're seeing a definite increase in. Um, as far as kind of a sweet spot, about half of our uh, business is uh, connected to some sort of e-commerce type of opportunity. So we're heavy there. Um, in the U.S. market, of course, you know, folks still want to be in major metropolitan areas like the greater Los Angeles area. They want to be able to get into, uh, you know, whether it's same day or next day into the Northeast. So we have a strong presence in central PA, also just outside across the uh, uh, basically from New York City over into New Jersey. And then, of course, anything else in between. So the major markets like Atlanta, Memphis. Uh, Dallas and Chicago, those are key footprints for not only the network, but also our business. And it makes sense, the ability to, one, uh, have access to, to strong labor, two, transportation lines, and then three, uh, be able to get uh, our products out to our clients and users as, as efficiently as possible. Yeah, you must uh, collect a lot of data in, in this process. I mean, how can you leverage or how can a, a CPG company leverage predictive analytics to know understand their inventory needs in the various locations? That's a good question. I was actually, I uh, had caught your earlier podcast with Blue Yonder, and one of the things that we use within the direct network is the Blue Yonder Illuminate platform. And so uh, there's lots of opportunities there to be able to uh, look at those demand signals, analyze where the demand's coming from. Uh, I, I recall back on the, uh, when you were talking with Manish, how can you run multiple scenarios to be able, and I think he called it infinite uh, scenarios, to be able to see what's the best solution? So at GXO, we take with our tech stack combined with what the client wants as outcomes, 
and we can run some of those uh, uh, different types of scenarios to see what best fits for uh, you know customer commit times, uh, basically the budget of the client, and also what they want their ESG footprint to be, and then help them dial it in. And so I think that's where we're, where I see, uh, as far as on a technology suite and software suite coming with uh, leveraging the tools of AI, ML, and data, that's, that's going to be a game changer in the future. And I, I believe we're at the forefront of that with the partners we've selected and then the experience we have in the market. Well, uh, ladies and gentlemen, you heard it right here. Steve Lewis is a fan of the show. So uh, that's probably the, some of the best uh, uh, feedback we can receive. And a uh, wonderful partnership, too, especially with Blue Yonder as well. Uh, Steve, I want to thank you so much for, for spending time with us here today. If uh, people want to go learn more about GXO Direct, where can they head? Yeah, I'd say just go to our website, uh, gxo.com. You're going to see a lot of information. You're also going to see some proof points and be able to see some case studies. And then you can just kind of click on the button that says you want to learn more. And we'd be happy to reach out to you and connect and talk about uh, what we do for our clients and what we could do for them. Again, thank you so much. We appreciate your time and everything that GXO is doing for the industry as well. Uh, for everyone watching, of course, uh, Mike did mention this earlier. We are a wonderful community. So you have a community newsletter that you can get as well. Head to Freightways.com. Click at the top of the page newsletters and make sure that uh, you check that today. Anything else, Mike? That's it? No, that's it. You know, thanks um, for, for to me also, um, and thanks everyone for listening.